Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. My name is Ann Hambly. I'm the host of our podcast. I'm very thrilled to have with me today a longtime friend in the industry, Sean Hill. Uh, Sean, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, your firm, and talk about all the wonderful things your firm does. Great. Well, thanks, Ann. Thanks for having us. Um, I am the principal and one of the founding members of a Chicago-based mortgage banking firm called the BSC Group. Uh, we are not indifferent or not different from many other mortgage banking firms around the country, uh, with the notable exception that we are very self-storage-centric uh, in our focus. So we have been concentrating on the self-storage asset class for more than 15 years, really, as experts in that field. Uh, Self-storage has certainly become much more popular and much more mainstream in the CRE sector than it was when we started uh, but we spend a lot of time in the self-storage space, uh, helping borrowers with debt and equity, workout services. Uh, and then we also, as a, as a side business of the BSC Group, we have developed a couple of self-storage properties and we invest um, in self-storage properties as well because we love the business. Yeah, and it is a really, and how long, by the way, have, when did you create BSC Group? Uh, we created BSC Group in 2009, so it was a great time to start a mortgage banking wow. company because nobody <laughs> was uh, lending, so it was a yeah. wonderful well, uh, wonderful yeah. environment to throw your hat in the ring, but we had been mortgage Absolutely. bankers working with another company um, and just saw an opportunity at that point to to start something new. Yeah, and it does seem like self-storage, um, you know, I do kind of all property types, but don't get involved in self-storage too much because it is, well, there are experts in the field, number one. And number two, it really is um, different in many ways. And I, I don't know if this is really uh, true, but I've always heard, and I'd love your thoughts on this. Is it recession-proof in theory? Well, there's nothing, nothing is recession-proof. So when you, we, we like to use the term recession-resistant, but I think that, uh, I mean, I think that, yeah, the facts speak for themselves. And if you look at the performance of the asset class through the Great Recession, through many times that have been challenging in the economy, COVID, for example, right, is the most recent one that we went through. Uh, what we have learned about self-storage over time is that change creates demand for self-storage. So anytime there is something that is driving change in the environment or the economy, uh, it tends to create demand for our product type. So using COVID as the most basic example, you know, everything was changing very quickly. People were having to uh, vacate their offices, create home offices, retail retailers were trying to figure out how to adapt to the new environment. But all of those things sort of created demand for self-storage. So as people were looking to create that second uh, home office that, you, you know, turn the second bedroom in their home into an office so that they could work from home, where am I going to put the stuff? It's mm -hmm. going to go into storage mm -hmm. or, right. you know, so you sort of think through the, the business and how it works organically and pragmatically. And you, it's not really that hard to understand how our business does well in times that are challenging for other CRE sectors. So um, yeah, generally speaking, inflation is, you know, inflation is just another form of change, right? It creates yeah. changes in the housing market, it creates changes in the job market. And so those changes tend to help uh, our product type. Now, let's be clear. I mean, you know, a recession isn't great for any CRE sector, but relatively speaking, um, 
our industry with the month to month leases and just kind of the way that it's set up tends to uh, fare better than some others during challenging times. So I get how self-storage is directly related to multifamily and, or I could, I, I don't, shouldn't say direct related, but when there's changes in the home environment or multifamily, or like you said, during COVID, I, I can see the relationship between those products and those changes and self-storage. Is there a correlation at all between all the changes that are going on in the office sector other than I'm answering maybe my own question, the need for people to have home offices and therefore additional need self-storage? Or how does how does the office work from home hybrid arrangements affect self-storage? Yeah, I guess, you know, I would have to think about, give that some thought. I mean, I think that one of the things that people are are starting to think about as it relates to office, and this is a not not answering the question that you're asking, but yeah. one of the things that people are wondering about is, is there an opportunity to convert some office buildings that are maybe being underutilized in infill locations to self-storage, you know, in terms of how the office sector and the changes in the office sector are creating demand for storage. I'm sure we could come up with some correlations. I think it's really, though, just at the end of the day, if you're trying to understand why self-storage always does better when the market gets really challenging, I'd give you this example to think about, right? Our business is month to month. So when somebody comes into the office and says, hey, I lost my job, I need to move out of my unit, right? A good manager is going to say to that person, well, you know, look, you lost your job, but you're going to get another job. Where are you going to put all your stuff? You certainly don't want to get rid of all your stuff and then have to buy it again as soon as you get back on your feet. Why don't we go take a look at your unit, take a look at how much space you're utilizing and see if we can't figure something out for you, right? And so then they walk down the hall, they roll up the door and they say, okay, look, you're renting a 10 by 10 but there's a lot of empty space here. We might be able to put you into a smaller unit. I can reduce your rent. I can give you a month free rent because you're having a rough time right now. Why don't I have my guys move you into a smaller unit? We'll give you a free month. And why don't we talk about it again in two months when you're back on your feet? And so what have you done there? One, you've helped the consumer because they're feeling grateful that they don't now have to deal with the situation that they thought they had to do it, deal with. But secondly, you put them into a higher rent per square foot grossing unit because the smaller units generate more rent per square foot than the larger units do. And by virtue of our month to month leasing, yes, we've given a concession, we've given a free month to keep the tenant, but more than likely, we're probably going to keep that tenant for more than two months because in two months from now, there's a good chance they are going to be back on their feet. They're no longer going to be thinking about getting rid of their stuff and they're going to move on down the road with their life and we're going to have retained that tenant. And that is the part that's very unique to self-storage. If you think of how that same story would manifest itself in another CRE sector, let's call it retail, you've now committed to a probably three to five year rent concession on your lease, right? You may have kept the tenant, but two years from now when the economy is doing very well again, now you've got a bunch of tenants that are in place at way below market rents that you're going to have a hard time renegotiating with. Whereas our business, six months from now, we can push through a pretty sizable rent increase to a tenant. If they're paying $80 for a five by five, we can put a $10 rent increase through and on a percentage basis, that's fairly significant, right? And so if you just think of the law of large numbers of our business and how it operates, that's really the nuts and bolts of why 
the economics of the business are very recession resistant. It's because you're not, you know, you've got 600, 700, depending on the facility, 800 tenants in there. None of them know each other. There's no, no potential for a mutiny, no potential for, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. right. you know what I mean? Those yes, types yes. of same, some same uh, experiences that some other operators of CRE right. and different asset classes have. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, that's a good point. I had not thought about that at all. Um, uh, but I did, I think when you were talking about the rental concessions, I was sitting here thinking, how does that affect an owner? But I guess to your point, the sheer volume of, you know, tenants that you have and the kind of ebbs and flows, it probably all evens out. And there's so much demand, I think, right, for self-storage that if one unit is available, typically someone wants it. So I, I would assume, I'm, I guess I, that should have been a question more than a statement, but. No, I, but I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, obviously it matters if the facility is in lease up, it's different than if the facility is stable, but if the facility is yeah. stable and you're 90% occupied with seven or 800 tenants, giving one tenant uh, a free month of rent, you know, is, is you know, you're going to annualize that over 12 months and it's really going to, you know, not be overly meaningful to the bottom line uh, in any given month. So it's, yeah. you know. Everything has an impact, but it's the it's right. the the severity of the impact, I guess, is what causes blips in CRE. It's when we have major disruptions of cash flow. And our the way that we're set up with month-to-month -month leases and a large volume of tenants, it's very difficult to have significant disruption of cash flow in a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. That's great, right? Um, now I bet. Uh, so talk about your originations making new loans during this environment. I'm sure that's kind of challenging and um I imagine for every property type, including self-storage, but talk about how that uh, is working for your new new originations right now. Yeah, well, it, it is. Obviously, rates are, are dramatically higher than they have been in some time. Um, so from the new origination side, it's we're, there's a lot of, frankly, it's just a lot of equity is needed in deals. So our industry, because self-storage is so popular right now, there is a lot of equity, mainstream institutional equity that has, you know, if you're talking about 10 years ago, was not participating in our sector. Five years ago, started getting very interested in our sector. Now they're seeing an opportunity and frankly want exposure to our sector as they're moving away from you know, the bellwethers like office and, and trying to figure out where to invest, self-storage has become very attractive. So we have a little bit of an anomaly going on in our industry where the bid ask spread or maybe cap rates have not increased in line with the rate increases in the interest rate market as they maybe should have because it seems like there's always another buyer that's willing to step in and try to stretch to, to get the deal. So we're, we tend to find ourselves in our business in a little bit of a negative leverage environment, a um, lot of equity required to go into de deals, and that is because deals are debt service coverage constrained. So for the last decade, you know, it was debt yield was the driving factor. Today, we're seeing deals where it's a 50% loan to cost or loan to value acquisition, 55, 60, staggeringly low leverage. But yet trying to figure out how to get the deal to pencil on a DSCR kind of coverage test, right? So, yeah. you know, you've got the three legs of the stool, loan to values in check, debt yield is in check, but debt service coverage is challenging. And, and the other thing that's, you know, notable, I think about the uh, 
interest rate environment that we're in right now is just it's a lender's market. So across CRE, generally speaking, there's kind of what I would call liquidity mirage going on. There's plenty of liquidity. The banks are liquid. CMBS would lend if you want to take their deal. Uh, credit unions are active. Local banks are active. Everybody, you know, the insurance companies are lending. But it is a situation where the lenders are being very choosy about what they're wanting to move forward on. And so it's difficult to kind of match the transaction to the lender. You've got to really work a little bit harder than we were having to for several years when, you know, capital was just very liquid. Mm -hmm. So there's, it, it's weird because there's still liquidity out there, but it's just more, you know, is the porridge the right temperature? Because if it's too hot or if it's too cold, either the lender doesn't like it or the borrower doesn't like it. So trying to find that deal where everybody can live with the deal has has become more challenging. Uh, we've seen the acquisition market obviously slow down quite a bit, uh, working on a lot of construction requests, surprisingly. So I think there's you know some of the more well-heeled developers that we're working with see an opportunity in this market to develop through the storm, try to time the you know product coming out the backside to line up with when the economy and the recession is expected to be over. I think they feel like there's an opportunity to do that. So we're sort of all over the board. The other thing, you know, as I was mentioning before we started recording is we're we're just seeing a lot of uh, transactions that have to be put together a couple times to get to the finish line. So longer time frames to transact mm -hmm. because, you know, once the borrower fully understands the cost of the debt and then the lender gets through their underwriting and then, oh, by the way, rates have creeped up a little more. So now we need to resize the loan, which means we need to go back through the mill and figure out where the equity, you know, you're sort of kind of going through the cycle of the deal multiple yeah. times to get to the finish line. So it's just, everything's taking longer and is a little bit harder. It's like building a construction on an earthquake. Yeah. Kind of keeps getting knocked down and yeah. you keep trying to build yeah. it back up again. Yeah. Yep. And that what our careers are all about. <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. I love, I love your liquidity mirage. That's, I'm, I'm going to, that's a great saying. I love, I love that. Hey, you said uh, you're seeing acquisitions for self-storage down a little bit, partly because of the rate movement and stuff, but do you expect them to be down in 23 versus 22? Or Well, I think there's a there's a few things going on there, right? The overall economy, the REITs have, their stock prices have been beat up quite a bit. So the four mm -hmm. major REITs that participate in our sector, um, their implied cap rate is higher than the cap rates that individual assets are trading at. So for them, when they're looking at buying a property, it's not necessarily accretive to put the deal onto the balance sheet day one. So it's a situation where they have to love the real estate and it has to be really strategic for them to want to stretch. Certainly, the cost of capital has impacted the big, large transactions that were going on. Our industry in 2021 and 2022 had some very, very large deals that happened relative to historical deal flow. Um, you know, mm. mega transactions that were happening. And, and those very large deals have sort of been stymied by the interest rate environment for obvious reasons. Um, but so just overall, I mean, there still are transactions that are happening. The other thing that's gone away is the elective transaction, right? The borrower just transacting because I can lower my rate and take a bunch of cash out and lock into, you know, long-term yeah. interest-only financing that motivation has evaporated entirely for borrowers. So if they have any kind of a low rate and there's no gun to their head, they're going to probably stand pat for a while with that deal. Yeah. yeah. Now, 
you know, there is transaction activity. And then the other thing is, you know, and the, the market has been, the rate environment has been so favorable for so long that a lot of people defeased in the last couple of years. So loans that would be organically maturing now and over the next couple of years may have already paid off. So, yeah. you know, you just have a number of factors historically and currently that we're looking at that just are headwinds in the transaction environment. Yeah. Uh, let me be yeah. clear, you certainly can transact right now. This is not 2009 where there's just, you could have the world's best deal and there's nobody that's going to lend on it. That's not the environment that we're in. Uh, and I think the other story is, you know, I, I think it's really a situation where it's not like, and we've never been in an environment where the benchmark indices are in line with where they're at today. We've been in a three to 4% treasury environment and three to four and a half percent treasury environment many yeah. times in the past over our careers. The difference is that spreads were compressed much more than they are right now. So yeah. the market forces of the inflation and the war and what's going on with politics and you name it, there's all kinds of the recession, you know, the things that are going on that are causing investors to be shy right now have really widened out that bid ask spread. But, you yeah. know, it's conceivable that a year from now, we could be in a situation where the benchmark index environment is not much different or different at all than it is right now. But borrowing rates could be significantly lower than they are today because that 300 or 400 spread could be a 150 or 200 spread, right? So you could take 100 to 200 basis points out of all-in borrowing rates just with spread compression alone once the, the kind of fears of the worst being in front of us are sort of behind us and with a couple of changes that could happen through the course of this year, we could see quite a change in in the attitude of borrowing and investing in in the space. Right, right. You know, I'm sitting here. I guess as we wrap up, I'm sitting here, and I was I've, I've thought about this recently, and I think it uh, applies to self storage too. But in general, when somebody was buying a property before, um, probably prior to this year. And they saw that it had CMBS debt that was really a detriment or a turnoff, right? It was not, it was like, ah, shoot, it's got CMBS debt. Um, now it's it's the end thing, right? You see a CMBS loan and it's three or 4% non-recourse tenure financing, and you can assume it. All of a sudden, that's the sexy thing to have is CMBS debt on your property, which who knew, right? And now look at self-storage is probably the stable, sexy thing to, to invest in. Certainly probably not office, retail, you know, all the other property types, they're really scary right now for the most part. So who knew we'd be sitting here with CMBS and self-storage and and be the hot kid at the party, right? Well, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and it's funny because, uh, you know, I like to be right. Most people like to be right. For 10, for 10 years, I've been selling to borrowers the idea of assumability of CMBS. And one yeah. day you may have yeah. an asset in your mortgage because you could be sitting on a below market interest right. rate that somebody could assume and rates just kept going down the next year, down the next year, down right. the next year. So that seemed like a fool's gold promise, right? But here, we, here are we are now in a, in a seven, <laughs> seven and a half percent environment. Yeah. And, you know, I locked uh, in the end of 2021, I locked a borrower into four loans that were 10 year full term IO loans at rates between 260 and 280. Wow. So, I mean, think wow. of how that, bar, you know, the, there's always the other side of the trade, right? So, right. that borrower right now is feeling pretty good 
pretty about good. life. Uh, yeah. You know, as they right. say, timing is everything. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, right? So but right now, let's just say that, that we're right, right? <laughs> they would have, if they wanted to go sell those deals right yeah. now, now they, they, I don't know that they could technically be assumed because they're less than two years from yeah. their loan, but it's getting close now. But um, the fact is that they would probably get a premium, certainly for oh, that yeah. financing package. Somebody would be willing yeah. to pay for that. Right. And then they'll say, you know, that Sean Hill was right all along. <laughs> well, it doesn't happen very often. So, you know, I we'll love take it. The wins when we can get them. We take them when we get them. That's right. Well, any parting words for anybody that might be listening other than what we've covered already? Any any hot topics we didn't cover uh, on self-storage or your business in general? Um, you know, I don't know that I have any any golden nuggets. I do think that um, I think there's some opportunity this year um for transactions that are going to mature where borrowers may end up transacting because they don't want to put cash into deals so yeah. you know they may be looking at a property that they've been cash flowing for years that they've fully depreciated that now the mechanics of the situation just simply because of an underwriting problem the lenders looking and saying well you might need to put some cash into this deal and your rate's going to be quite a bit higher than it was. So you're basically paying for the cash flow that you've already been enjoying for however many years it's been, where that borrower just says, you know what, maybe it's time to move on down the road. And so mm -hmm. I think that there will be some transactions that might be created this year because just the market forces and the way that they're working. I don't think there's, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with those deals. It's not like those deals have been performing poorly or anything else. It's just simply, you know, right. underwriting. It's an underwriting issue, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so I think there's an opportunity, I think, for some from some sponsors there to maybe uh acquire strategically some deals if they if they can make sense of the environment. And then the only right. other thing I would say is I just think we're, it is an, a, a really a time in the market where uh mortgage bankers are your friend. There's a self uh yeah. serving, you know, not only for myself, but all the mortgage bankers in in the industry. Um, when money is readily available, we're marginalized, our service is marginalized, but when the market gets challenging, it really does pay to shop. There are mm -hmm. really, you know, pockets of money truly putting the local underlining local and local bank, um, because going into a particular market sub market and really just working the market to find that lender that happens to just have the deal that is the anomaly deal can really pay dividends. So I think that's Absolutely. Uh, that's that's where we're at in the cycle right now. You know, I've always been a big supporter of mortgage bankers. In fact, I was chair of the Commercial Mortgage Bankers Association for a number of years, but was very active in it. And I agree with you 100%. You um, being in CMBS and on the servicing side and doing what I do, I think we can never undervalue the importance of having a relationship or someone on your side throughout the whole deal. So I'm a big, big fan and supporter of that too. I've always been a big fan of yours, Sean. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to, um, you know, talk to me and talk to all the listeners and um, hopefully we'll do it again in 2024. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thanks for having me as always. And I hope you're well. And uh, thanks for everything. Thank you, Sean. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.